This time we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do rejoice so much in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on the deep salvation, the rich salvation that we have, uh, not by works or by earning it or by impressing you, but simply by faith and by faith alone in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love in choosing to send him, uh, and we thank you, for Jesus, for your willingness uh, to be sent and to, and to fulfill your Father's will. And Lord, we just thank you for this great salvation that we have in him, that, that through the cross, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, paying the penalty and bearing your wrath for our sin, uh, that we are uh, declared righteous in your sight. It's not just that our sins are wiped clean, uh, but that, that your righteousness is charged to our account. It's a gift of righteousness, a gift of grace to us. We, we thank you for this, that by faith, in your eyes, in your sight, we are in Christ, clothed with his righteousness, uh, upheld, upheld by your love, and filled by your Spirit, who every day, every moment, is guiding us, and leading us, and directing us. And Lord, we can't praise you enough for that. Those, those thoughts give us such joy as we think about Jesus and that finished work of the cross. And Lord, I do pray for myself and each one of us here that you would help us to be putting to death uh, the deeds of the flesh, uh, that we would be putting to death uh, sinful desires, um, that you would help us to be walking in the Spirit and bearing much fruit uh, to the glory of your name. We know that's, that that's why you've saved us. We know that's why you've given us your word that's also why you've given us your spirit. It's why you've called us into community. It's why you say, when you save us, you don't immediately send us up to, to, to dwell with you, but you leave us here on the earth. It's to bear much fruit for your namesake. Uh, to be disciples who are growing in the grace and knowledge of your name. And to be disciples who are uh, full of compassion and courageously... Uh, sh sharing the, the great news, the good news of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help each one of us here uh, to be faithful servants of your word in this way. I pray that you would burden our hearts for the lost. And Lord, we have so much hope and help in you. Help us not to be keeping that to ourselves, but especially in this, this day and time, in this climate that we're in. Help us just to be full of your love, full of your joy, full of your hope, and that that might be evident to those around us, and that you would do a great work for your namesake. And Lord, we thank you for uh, the Worship Vision Sunday coming up and the work that Dave and Josiah have been putting into that. We pray uh, that, that would just be a, a great day of, of learning and understanding or reinforcing uh, what the Word of God says about worship and just the, uh, the incredible privilege that we have that we can worship you. Uh, we were uh, under your wrath. We were separated from you, enemies of, of your of you, Lord, but, but because of your rich grace, we're your friends, and you've set our, our tongues free. You've loosened them uh, to boast in you, and I pray that you would, you would just greatly encourage us in that next Sunday. We thank you for the SING conference and all those who've signed up. Uh, we pray that that also would be a great time of strengthening in the church, equipping in the church, uh, edifying for your namesake in the church. Uh, we, we also uh, pray, continue to ask and pray for your wisdom as we consider how to love our community with the love of Christ. Thank you so much, Father, for the many ideas that were proposed this past Sunday. Uh, Lord, we, we look at that board and we're excited about uh, what you can do through it. Uh, we, we don't look at ourselves or, 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 or anything like that, Lord. We don't, we don't measure things by uh, how many bodies or how big our budget is or how big our building is, Lord. But we, we measure things looking at you and how great you are and how awesome you are. And we know 
uh, that you want to do uh, great things for the name of your sake, for the sake of your name, and we ask that you do that here as we consider ways how we can strategically and wisely and effectively uh, love this community with the love of Christ. Help us to be saturating every nook and cranny with the gospel of Jesus Christ through through these initiatives, and please give us wisdom in knowing uh, which ones you would have us to take. And Lord, we uh, thank you so much for the country in which we live, the freedoms that we have. We thank you that you, the Sovereign One, have established the rulers who are over us, the, the kings, the queens, uh, the presidents, all those on Capitol Hill. Lord, we know that that comes from you, that you, you set up kings, you tear down kings, you set up nations, you tear down nations, and just the confidence that that gives us. So Lord, we thank you for those you've placed in authority over us. We pray that they would do what's right in your sight, that they would be pleasing to you. Uh, that you would uh, grant them the wisdom that they need. Uh, Lord, I don't think there's anyone here who envies their positions. Uh, Lord, it's, a, it's a, in so many ways a lose-lose situation. But Lord, help them to do what's right in your sight. And we just pray for us as citizens of this kingdom that we would remember that we're first and foremost citizens of your kingdom and that we would do what's right in your sight. But also as citizens of this kingdom, help us to humbly submit as far as conscience and the word of God does allow. And we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that right now is spreading and growing and increasing all around the world. And we thank you for your grace in choosing to save us and redeem us. Lord, we thank you for how that gospel is, is growing uh, day by day, moment by moment. And we just pray for your kingdom uh, to grow and grow and grow here locally and all around the world. And that you would be pleased to, to glorify your son in this way. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say... Amen. <clears throat> well, if you would, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, this morning we are looking at verses 39 through 45 in chapter 1. We've been making our way uh, verse by verse uh, through this great Gospel. And so this morning we've, we've come to Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 39 through 45. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. And God's word says to us this morning that in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And this is the reading of God's good and perfect word. And all God's people say, Amen. If you recall with me from the last couple of weeks, Mary has just received the most amazing news that anyone has ever heard. And that is the news uh, that though she has never known a man, that by the power of the Spirit she will miraculously conceive of the Messiah, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And this Savior, this Messiah, will forever reign upon David's throne. And as a sign, Mary didn't ask for a sign, but as a sign, uh, the angel Gabriel told Mary that her cousin Elizabeth, who is old in age, you don't know how old, it just says that she was old in age, so beyond childbearing years, uh, that she has also uh, is now pregnant. In fact, she's now six months pregnant. And so Mary hears all of that, and, and we read in, in verse 38, uh, Behold, Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Just rich, deep words of submissive, obedient faith to the word of God. Uh, so she, she hears all that, she believes it, she doesn't doubt it, and, and almost immediately she heads south to go visit Elizabeth. And we have questions like, well, did she tell her parents where she was going? Because remember, she's quite young. She's probably pre-teen. Uh, did she tell Joseph? Uh, we, don't, we don't know. That The text almost seems to indicate that, sh- that she didn't. That The text says in, in verse 39 that she went with haste. She went quickly into the hill country to a town in Judah, which was roughly 80 to 100 miles away. So a three to four day journey. She rushes off to go see Elizabeth. According to verse 56 in our same chapter, she stays with Elizabeth for three months. So it's a long visit. Uh, and she either returns right, right before or just before, or right after or just before the birth of John the Baptist. It's kind of funny to, to read uh, some of the, the liberals, when they come to this passage, some of those who, who doubt the veracity, the inspiration, the truthfulness of God's Word, I, I read a few of them, just curious what they say about this text. And looking at this text, they, they say about Elizabeth, or about, about Mary, that she rushes off to go see Elizabeth because of the shame and the embarrassment of being pregnant. And you have to wonder where they get that from, because at this point, Mary is probably just two or three or four days pregnant. I don't think she's showing. And then, when does she return back to her hometown? Three months later, when she's what? She's showing. She's not embarrassed. She's not ashamed uh, about the, the pregnancy that she has. She is, what she's doing in going to see Elizabeth is she's responding in faith-filled obedience. Now, her visit is commonly referred to as the visitation. Uh, and why it's called the visitation is because it's the visitation between Mary and Elizabeth. But on a deeper level, it's the visitation of the Messiah to visit with Elizabeth and with John. It really is a remarkable passage. Both Mary and Elizabeth are expecting. Uh, both of their unborn babies were given angelic messages from Angel Gabriel. And they're both, both of their unborn babies have some pretty spectacular promises and prophecies that have been said about them. So as, as we look at this text, there are a great deal of themes that we could, that we could look at, we can, can, could consider. One of them in particular is just how do you respond to Jesus? Right? Jesus comes to visit in the womb of his mother, and there's joy, there's filling of the Spirit, and, and, and those kind of things. But what I'm going to focus on this morning, because this is what the Lord really worked in my heart as I studied this text, uh, what I'm going to focus on this morning, what we're going to focus on this morning, is life in the Spirit, and the, how active the Spirit is in this, in this text. Uh, his, 
His fingerprints are everywhere in these verses. His work is everywhere in it. His fruit is everywhere in it. John the Baptist is in his mother's womb and he's filled with the Spirit. Elizabeth hears the greeting of Mary and she's filled with the Spirit. Uh, you have also Elizabeth portraying much fruit uh, all the, of, of the Spirit. All the way through it, she's loving she shows joy, she shows peace, she shows faith in the promises of God. And so just the overwhelming truth that, that jumped out of me as I thought about this passage over the week and prayed through it and what the Lord would, would, have, would lay on my heart to say this morning is just the Christian life is, is so dependent upon the Holy Spirit. No one can live the Christian life in his or her own strength. The life without the Holy Spirit is impossible. You cannot live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And praise God, you don't have to. You don't have to. The Holy Spirit was powerfully involved in the conception of Jesus. Uh, John the Baptist and Elizabeth, he's powerfully at work in their lives. And he's powerfully at work right now. And every moment of every day for the glory of Jesus' name and the glory of the Father. So you cannot live life, the Christian life, without the Holy Spirit. And praise God, you don't have to. That's what we're thinking about this morning and considering this morning. So as we look at the text, uh, the first point this morning is the witness of the Spirit. The witness of the Spirit. And this really is fascinating. Uh, Mary enters the house, and before Elizabeth can do anything, what happens? The baby in her womb, the six-month-old baby in her womb, leaps for joy. This is more than fluttering or what sometimes gets called quickening. Uh, the word that's used for leap in verse 41 where it says the baby leaped in her womb is, is used elsewhere in the Bible in a couple different places where it means springing about. And perhaps the picture that should come to your mind is a lamb or a calf when they, when they skip about. And why does baby John do this? I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one is because he's a prophet. I remember back in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. In fact, for me, it's just a flip of the page. But back in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, we read this. It says, He, that's John the Baptist, will go before the Christ, will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet, yes? And so John the Baptist will go before the Messiah in the spirit and power of, of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So John the Baptist is a prophet uh, to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. Uh, in, fifth, in the 5th century AD, uh, there's a man by the name of Maximus of Turin. How's that for a name? Maximus of Turin. And he says this about our text. Not yet born... Already John prophesies, and while still in the enclosure of the mother's womb, confesses the coming of Christ with movements of joy. So, so get that picture in your mind. John the Baptist is, is a six-month unborn baby, and the womb of his mother is his pulpit. And he's preaching, right? He's already preparing the way for the Messiah, even though he's unborn. He's already beginning to fulfill uh, the prophecy. It's an in utero prophecy. <laughs> it's an amazing text. 
So that's, that's the first reason why he, he leaps. He's, he's a prophet of the Lord, and his mission is to prepare the way for the Messiah, and he's preparing the way. Before Elizabeth can do anything, he leaps. A second reason why he leaps in Elizabeth's womb is because he's so full of joy. Uh, that's the testimony of the scripture in verse 44, where Elizabeth says, Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now I did a little, a little Google search uh, on this. Hopefully what I found, up is, found out is right. Uh, but what, what is said there is that at six months as an unborn baby, uh, the baby is, is gen these are averages, but generally 12 inches long, weighs two pounds, with wrinkled skin, probably reddish in color, if not a bit translucent. He has at this point fingerprints and toe prints. His eyelids are beginning to part and his eyes are, are opening. Uh, we know from scripture that he's being divinely knit together by God the Father. And we see from our text, he has emotions. And he is delighting in the, in, in the Savior at the voice of the mother of his Lord. He's in the presence of the Messiah. And what does he do? He leaps for joy. And that's how it should be for us. The coming of Christ is a thing that makes us leap for joy. This was true for John. It was true for Elizabeth. It's true for anyone who, who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. By the inward witness of the Spirit, we recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior from our sins, and it causes our hearts to soar. Amen? That, that, that's the idea that's here. By, by the inward witness of the Spirit, we recognize Jesus and we rejoice in Jesus and we leap for joy in the salvation that Jesus gives. Remember, Jesus means Savior, right? We leap for joy in His salvation, that He lived and suffered and died for our sin, that He paid the great debt of sin that we could never pay. He washed away the deep, dark stain of sin, and He rose from the dead, and He is ever-present with us, watching over us, caring for us, supplying all of our needs. That in Jesus, so great is His salvation and so great is His work, that even when we go through tribulation and trials and heartaches and distresses, we read in passages like Romans chapter 5 that we can rejoice in our tribulations. Why? Because of Jesus. Because He is our joy. This is why we gather on Sundays, right? This is why we're here this morning, yes? To rejoice in Jesus. To rejoice in Him. Jesus is the song of the redeemed. He's the joy of our hearts. He's the chief object of our joy. And He will be for all of eternity. Praising Jesus is the eternal preoccupation of the church. It will forever be our constant delight. Let me say it this way. Our joy as Christians is not hitched to a COVID vaccine. And our joy is not hitched to whoever wins the presidential debate. Our joy is hitched to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and that way we can forever and always be joyful. And I wonder if some of us here uh, really need that reminder. I wonder if some of us have forgotten the source of our joy. And maybe over the last few months you've been given to fear or worry or resentment. Those are joy killers. And what you need is the Holy Spirit to weed out your heart, to do some pruning in your heart, to pull out those roots of, of bitterness or anger or worry or fear, and, and then in pulling those out to fertilize your heart afresh. Maybe you need to cry that out to God right now, that He would do that for you, that He would start pruning your heart, pulling those, those, those joy killers of fear and worry and, and bitterness and, and things like that, that He would fertilize your heart afresh and fill you with the joy of the Spirit that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's a great thing to pray. And I hope some of you are praying that right now. I had to pray that myself this week over a few things in my own life. But that is a prayer that God delights to answer. When you cry out to Him to prune your hearts, uh, he, he delights to answer that, to give you His joy. And I know that because Jesus Himself prayed that for you 2,000 years ago. Remember that? He prayed that you would know His joy 2,000 years ago. In John... Chapter 17, he prays this, But now I am coming to you, he's speaking to God the Father, and these things I speak in the world, and here's why, he says, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The Lord Jesus wants you to have his joy in your heart. Cry that out to him and ask him to work that in your hearts this morning. That is the first work of the Spirit, that inward witness of the Spirit by which we recognize and rejoice in Jesus. But before I move to the next point, there is another witness that's here in this text uh, that I want to bring to our attention. It's a little bit of a heavier nature, uh, but I think important to point out. What we must see in this text is a witness to the sanctity of human life. We see in this text a witness to the value of human life, no matter the size of that life, no matter the level of dependency that that life has, and no matter the level of development that that life has. You see, why are you saying that, Pastor Andrew? Let, let, let me explain it. The baby in Elizabeth's womb, who we know to become John the Baptist, he's a person. How do I know that? Well, the text lays it out in a, in a powerful way. The fact that he is a prophet, he is filled with joy, he has emotions, and the fact of his being filled with the Holy Spirit indicates that he is a what? He's a person. A person has emotions. Only a person can be filled with the Spirit, and only a person can be a prophet. He is not just another extension of Elizabeth, like another arm or leg. What he is, is a precious, joy-filled, spirit-filled person formed by the loving hand of God. He's a person. Six months old, unborn, a person. And think about this. Mary is pregnant. And it would seem very, very, very early in her pregnancy. Again, it would seem she's just a few days pregnant. 
And when Jesus enters the womb, in, uh, enters the room in the womb of his mother, John the Baptist, who is six months old, leaps for joy at the presence of the Lord. Notice what Elizabeth says in verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And then catch the verse before that. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That's present tense. She doesn't say the mother of my the mother who has a baby who will be my Lord because he's not a person yet. Right? The mother of my Lord is is present tense. Jesus, he's only a few days old in his mother's womb, is not a blob of tissue. He's the Lord. He's a person. And I want to point out one more thing to you that's not quite as obvious, but one more thing that witnesses to the, the sanctity of human life. And it's, it's this. In, in the Greek, we know the Bible was originally written in, in, in the New Testament with Koine Greek. So it's always valuable to study that and think about that, what it meant uh, to the original audience. And we know that, that that word that's there is the word brephos. It's kind of fun to say, brephos. Uh, that's the word used for John at six months old in Elizabeth's womb. He's, he's a brephos. He's a child. It's the same word used, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 16. It's the same word used to describe Jesus once he's been born and he's outside the womb. So in Luke 2, 16, it says, They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, the brephos, lying in a manger. And also, in, in, later on in, in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 18, the same word for children is used when, remember that passage where it says all these children are coming around Jesus and the disciples are annoyed by that? It's the same word. So the same word for child is used when John the Baptist is in the womb of Elizabeth. It's used for Jesus when he's born outside the womb. And it's used for children who are quite a bit older in Luke 2.16. And I point all of that out to say that what we very clearly see is that what the person is inside the womb is the same outside the womb. Just older and bigger and more developed. So we're seeing here a powerful testimony of the witness of Scripture and the witness of the Spirit to the sanctity of human life. Are you seeing it? It's, it's pretty neat. It's pretty powerful. A powerful witnesses, witness that the unborn are persons. Thus, we believe and are strongly convicted that abortion is wrong. It is sin. It is the murder of unborn persons created in the image and likeness of God. Don't be deceived by sterile clinical atmospheres. Abortion is messy, it is dark, it is gruesome, it is destructive, it is wicked. I say that forcefully, but I also say that compassionately. Maybe there are some here, maybe there are some listening uh, via live stream who have had an abortion. Maybe you were pressured by your family or, or your boyfriend or, or economics or maybe even shame or, or whatever it was. was. And I, I want you to know that you are not beyond the grace of God. Yes, you've sinned. 
You've killed, you've murdered an unborn child. Like every one of us here, you fall short of God's holy standards. But this is the gospel. Christ came to defeat sin. He came to defeat the culture of death that is abortion. And he came to give new life. Life abundant. You are not beyond hope. There is forgiveness at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll say it this way. Abortion doesn't get the final word. A guilty conscience doesn't get the final word. The blood of Jesus covers all sin. When you repent of your past abortion or or sin and accept God's forgiveness, you can know His love, you can know His peace, and you can know His joy. And you might be thinking, because I, I've, I've encountered this with some people before, you might be thinking, I, I don't even deserve forgiveness. What I've done is so awful. And there's part of me that wants to agree with you. you you're right. You don't deserve forgiveness. None of us for, for deserve forgiveness. That's the point. That's the point of grace. There's no limit to His salvation. There's no freedom or joy like His forgiving grace. That is the witness of His Spirit the joy and the salvation that can be yours by faith in this Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the witness of the spirits. How about point number two, the filling of the spirits. The filling of the spirits. Uh, John the Baptist has given his witness in the Messiah. It's Elizabeth's turn. Uh, Like John, our text says, she was filled with the Spirit. In verse 41, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what that means is she was suddenly, uh, had this sudden and momentary experience enabling her to give inspired speech. That's what it means in this text to be filled with the Spirit. This divine, momentary, sudden filling of the Spirit that enables her to open her mouth and speak the message the Lord has given her to speak. You'll see it again in Luke chapter 1, verse 67. In Luke chapter 1, verse 67, it says, His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. What's he do? Starts prophesying. It's the same thing here in our text. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and what's she start doing? She starts prophesying. She gives divine-inspired utterances. We see that in, in Acts in multiple places, too. So, so here in our text, Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit, and she prophesies three inspired blessings upon Mary. So I want you to see the work of the Spirit there, right? He has filled Elizabeth. He's filled John the Baptist. He's filled Elizabeth. But that's not the only thing. I think also what's happening here is the Spirit gives Elizabeth revelation. When Mary greets her, when Mary makes that long trip and walks in the door and greets Elizabeth, all of a sudden, in a flash, Elizabeth knows some things she shouldn't be able to know. She instantly knows Mary is pregnant. How does she know that? Again, she's only a few days pregnant. I think it's the Spirit reveals that to her. The Spirit fills her and reveals that truth. But she also instantly knows, not only is Mary pregnant, but Mary's pregnant with her Lord and her Savior. How does she know that? It's the revelation of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is very, very active. He fills, He inspires, and He reveals truth to Elizabeth. So filled with the Holy Spirit, 
I love what the text says, uh, verse 42, she exclaimed with a loud cry, which is joyful assurance, these three blessings. The first blessing is, is found in verse 42, where she says, blessed are you among women. Uh, Mary will be the most blessed woman of all time. Why? It's tied into the second blessing because of the child that is in her womb. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And who exactly is the fruit of her womb? Well, verse 43 tells us, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? What an incredible thing for Elizabeth to say. She's quoting Psalm 110, verse 1, where David refers to the Messiah as my Lord, my overlord, my almighty ruler, my, my sovereign, my king. Elizabeth is acknowledging what every one of us must acknowledge by the work of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Uh, one guy I read this week, a commentator on the Word of God, his name, last name is Hendrickson, he said this, or he wrote this, If Elizabeth so described Jesus when he was still a baby in Mary's womb, how much more should we not glorify the Christ who died for us and who lives evermore to intercede for us? Right? If if Elizabeth can worship and see the Lordship of Jesus, even though Jesus is just a few days old in, in Mary's womb, how much more should we today burst forth in praise and adoration and submit to his 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 Lordship in light of all that we know about Jesus? And the third blessing uh, that Mary divinely inspired utters is found in verse 45, where it says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now remember your context. Six months ago, Zechariah was given a pretty impressive message by the angel Gabriel about the son that Elizabeth will have to be named John and Zechariah hears that and he doesn't believe it, right? He doubts it. He doubts the angelic message. I can't help but wonder because assuming he's in the area and because Elizabeth speaks very, very loudly I can't help but wonder if Zechariah overhears verse 45. Again, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I remember he's currently mute and deaf because he doubted and didn't believe. But Mary received a message uh, on the scale of belief even harder to believe than, than that which uh, John... <coughs> those are going everywhere. <laughs> you guys aren't going to be able to sing after. <coughs> uh, but she, she believed God's word. She expected God to accomplish what he said he would do. And she is pronounced blessed. So I want to say this to you. Verse 45 is one of the best definitions of faith I think we can find. What is faith? Look at verse 45. Blessed is she who believed. Believed what? That there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That's faith. That's faith. Faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith is not having an optimistic outlook on life. Faith is not hoping for your best. It's not crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. Faith is choosing to take God at His word. Faith is confidence that God will do what He says He will do. That He will perform His promises. That He will fulfill His every decree. Faith in the words of Philippians 1.6 is being confident that He who began a good work in you will finish what He starts. 
Faith is an abiding assurance that God will do what He says He will do. It is a conviction deep in your bones that the God who created all the heavens and the earth simply by speaking will keep the promise that He has made to us. He can be trusted. Faith is taking God at His word. It is believing what He says. And notice verse 46 would teach us that when faith believes God's word, then God blesses you. Right? Faith brings God's blessing. That's verse 46. If you believe His word, you are blessed by God. I hope that all of us here know this faith. That all of us here have called upon God by faith in the name of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice in, in verse 45, there's no mention of works, right? Forget all that nonsense about thinking you have to earn your way to heaven. That's impossible. If you're going to come to God and have His blessing, then you, just, you have to understand you cannot earn it. You come to Him by faith, believing that what He has spoken in His Word can be trusted. It is true. That's saving faith. That's what God blesses. Do you believe the Scriptures? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe He is the promised Messiah? Do you believe He died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead? Do you believe He died for your sin? Have you entrusted your life to that truth? That's faith. It's staking your life on it. God has spoken and I believe it with all of my heart and soul and strength. Can you say with Mary those words in verse 38, Behold, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Can you say that this morning? And Christian, maybe there's something that God is asking you to believe in His Word during this particular season of life that you're having a hard time believing and obeying. I don't know what that is, but again, maybe there's something in your life that God is asking you to believe in His Word during this season of your life. I just want to, again, just challenge you and encourage you. Do you believe Him? Will you step out in faith and obey Him? Will you say like Mary, let it be to me according to your word? Will you believe what Scripture says, that God will bless you? Not that it's going to be easy, but that God will bless you if you act out in faith upon the promises of His word. And don't forget the Holy Spirit. Right? Whatever that is in your life, this difficult thing that God is calling you to do in obedience to His Word, and, and, and maybe you're intimidated about it, you're fearful about it, you're worried about it, don't forget the Holy Spirit is with you to help you, uh, to, to guide you, and to, to direct you. If, if Elizabeth and Mary can obey the way that they obey, how much more can we? Because we have it better than Mary and Elizabeth. We have the Holy Spirit permanently dwelling within us. He has sealed us, baptized us, filled us, gifted us. He's active in our life. So, so maybe you've been stuck 
and God is calling upon you to do something in response to His Word, to, to obey Him, to believe Him, difficult or easy, whatever it is, but you haven't done it, I'm just trying to exhort you and encourage you, believe God's Word, act out in faith, take that step, He will bless you, and He has given you His Holy Spirit that you might walk in obedience to Him. Amen? And then a third point from this morning is the fellowship of the spirits. We've seen the inward witness of the spirit. We've seen the filling of the spirits. Lastly, consider with me from this text the fellowship of the spirits. And what I mean by that is this. Put yourself in Elizabeth's shoes. <laughs> if, if Mary came to you with, with this message, would you believe her? What would you say to her? Would you shame her? Would you call her a liar? Would you kick her out of your house? Would you say, what do you take me for, a fool? Or, or, or something like, man, what drugs are you on? Right? What, what, what would you say to her? You think the Holy Spirit has conceived the Messiah in you? Are you nuts? Right? But there's none of that. Instead, by the work of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth believes Mary triple blesses her and acknowledges that the child is the Messiah. I, I can't help but think that Mary's heart had to soar. That, that she, she's just traveled 70 to 100 miles, an exhausting 70 to 100 miles, over three to four days, she walks in the door and the very first thing she hears is from her cousin Elizabeth who loudly, joyfully announces Blessed are you. And she does that three times. Can you just sense how Mary's heart must have been flooded with assurance and joy and peace and grace? Can you see how there is rich fellowship in the Spirit in our text? I can't help but point out Elizabeth's humility. For six months, the talk of the town has been her pregnancy, right? She shouldn't be able to be pregnant. She, she shouldn't be able to have a child. But, but God has worked this great work. And so for six months, that's, that's been the talk of the town. Elizabeth is pregnant. But now, when the Lord Jesus comes to visit through Mary, she doesn't talk about herself. She talks about Mary. She blesses Mary. In fact, that word in verse 42 where it says, Blessed are you, it's the Greek word, Eulageo. Does that sound like something? It's the word from which we get eulogy. Eulageo is a word for eulogy, which simply means to speak highly of someone, to praise someone, to extol someone. So Elizabeth, again, put yourself in her shoes. She's not prideful. She's not envious. She's not jealous. She's not like, well, yeah, well, my son, this, 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 this. No, what she does is she humbly honors Mary. She places herself in the background and joyfully speaks highly of Mary and her child. I think she models very beautifully the words of 1 Corinthians 13 that says, Love does not envy, and love believes all things. And because she believed, and because she did not envy Mary, 
Mary and her were able to talk and strengthen each other in the Lord. Listen to J.C. Ryle. He's a preacher from the 1800s. Uh, he put it this way. We are told in a striking manner how the hearts of both of these holy women were cheered and their minds lifted up by this interview. Listen to what he says. Without this visit, Elizabeth might never have been so filled with the Holy Spirit as we are here told she was. And without this visit, Mary might never have uttered that song of praise which is now well known over the Church of Christ. The words of an old divine are deep and true. Happiness communicated doubles itself. Grief grows greater by concealing. Joy grows greater by expression. I'm going to say that one more time. Happiness communicated doubles itself. Grief grows greater by concealing. Joy grows greater by expression. So here in our text is a powerful encouragement to Christian fellowship. It's a powerful encouragement to belonging to a local body of believers. It's a powerful reminder that we need each other. Amen? We, we need each other. We, we do our souls great harm when we have little to no Christian fellowship. And the Bible commands us not to neglect meeting with one another. Instead, we are to be deeply involved in the hearts and affections and fears and hopes of others. We are to rejoice when others rejoice and weep when others weep. Which means you know that they're rejoicing, right? You're so connected with them, you know that they're rejoicing. And you're so connected with them that you know that they are weeping. This is a vital part of our walk and growth in Jesus. If you neglect Christian fellowship, you miss the many graces that can be yours. Now think about this. Think about the life of Jesus. And it's been super encouraging to me, by the way, as a, as a total side note, just to have many of you coming up to me and saying how much you're enjoying the series through Luke, but also to tell me you, you're reading the text, you're trying to figure out what I'm going to preach on next, and how you're digging into the Word of God. Nothing excites me more than, than to hear things like that. Uh, and, I, and I love how the, how the Lord is working in that way. But I, I just want you to think about this. As you've been reading through Luke, have you noticed how much of a people person Jesus is? Have you noticed how much time he spends with people? Luke is constantly describing Jesus visiting with people. He has meals with them. Wherever he goes, he's talking with people. Uh, whether it's a man peering down from a tree named Zacchaeus, or a wild man in the graveyard, or a woman who's filling her jar at the well, or a blind man begging at the side of a road, or the judge facing him at his trial, or the man dying alongside him. Think about that. He's on the cross, and he dialogues a little bit with a guy dying on the cross next to him. Jesus talked to people. He's, he scandalized the Pharisees by eating at the homes of people who they thought he shouldn't, shouldn't be touching. Jesus was always spending time touching and, and talking and serving people. What's the takeaway from that? The takeaway from that is it's only through association. It's only through spending time with people that we can be encouraged and that we can encourage others. It is only through spending time with people that you can influence them toward Christ-likeness. There's no substitute for Christian fellowship. Do I dare say it this way? It is essential. It is essential. I've spoken with several of you 
who have admitted that over the months of March and May and April and, and some March to May when, when we weren't meeting, that many of you have shared with me, and I'm sure you shared with each other, that you spiritually tanked. That you spiritually struggled. You were so isolated from one another that spiritually you just kind of went into a dark place. And we are very, very thankful for technology that allows us to stream the services like we've been doing, but there is no substitute for in-person fellowship. Zoom is great. We're so thankful that we're even able to do that in a few different avenues, but it is simply not possible to maintain true Christian fellowship through it. We belong to each other. We need each other. We need to be stirred to love and good works. We need each other to help carry our burdens. Anyone have a burden this morning? You don't need to carry that alone. You're surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ who can help you carry that burden. And what we need are honest, deep relationships like Mary and Elizabeth. That's what we need. Listen to how Paul Tripp uh, says this. He's, he's, quote, he's talking about Hebrews chapter 3. He says this, What about you? Have you embraced your daily need for the help of the body of Christ? Uh, please, please think about these words. Who knows you? Like, who really knows you? Whom have you invited to intrude into your private space to function for you as an instrument of seeing? Because sin blinds, right? Sin deceives. And who's the first person it deceives? You. And, and God in His grace gives us other people to be instruments of seeing. So Trip continues, Do you have a name in mind right now? When someone who knows you points out a sin, a weakness, or a failure, are you thankful? Or do you feel your chest tighten and your ears get red as you silently prepare yourself to rise to your own defense? We all have that inner lawyer that wants to rise up and defend. Then he says this, Are you skilled at giving non-answers to personal questions? Or do you run toward the daily help that God has provided? That and he's talking about fellowship. That help, that fellowship is not something to be afraid of or shy away from because it is a tool of God's forgiving, rescuing, transforming grace. So I want to say it this way. Do you have an Elizabeth in your life? You know what I mean by that? Do you have an Elizabeth in your life? Or, let me turn it around, are you being an Elizabeth to someone else? Are you eulogizing each other? Why is it we only do eulogies after someone has died? We need to be speaking well of each other. We are so often tight-fisted with our praise. Most of us think some pretty great things about each other, but they never know it. Most of us see Christ in others, and maybe they don't see that themselves, and it's of little value to, to think it but not say it. It becomes valuable when you see it and you express it. Not to praise that person, but to praise Christ who is at work in that person. Who are you eulogizing? Who can you eulogize today? Who can you praise today? Who can you be a Mary to, or an Elizabeth to, today. And I, I just want to throw this out there. You know who needs a lot of encouragement? Our teenagers. 
our teenagers, our, our children, they need a lot of encouragement. And I'll, I'll put it this way, I've never met someone who has said to me, I wish people would stop encouraging me. Have you ever had anyone say that to you? I, I wish people would just stop encouraging me. The truth is, you've often thought what? Man, I could sure use some encouragement today. What about our teens? Our children? They need a lot of encouragement. And I share that because in our text, there's just this beautiful picture of a teenager being encouraged. She's been giving a daunting mission by the Lord. And Elizabeth, who is much older, again, Mary's probably 12 or 13 or 14 years old. Mary's probably in her 70s. I mean, Elizabeth is probably in her 70s. And they are united. They're having great fellowship and encouragement in the Lord. Shouldn't that be what it's like here at Orangeville Baptist Church? With the young and the old, this intergenerational ministry, encouraging one another, uh, building each other up in the faith. The gospel should be uniting our generations. The gospel is uniquely relational. The gospel is about people. Ignoring people is very anti-gospel. Loving people and praising people and encouraging people in the Lord, that's very gospel-centered. Again, just imagine if Mary didn't have Elizabeth. Just imagine that. Just imagine if Elizabeth kept her mouth shut. Let's take a lesson from Elizabeth and learn to loudly bless one another, to eulogize one another. If you think it, say it. Build each other up in the things of the Lord. That's the fellowship of the spirits. What a text, huh? Life in the Spirit. This inward witness of the Spirit that causes us to see and rejoice in our Savior. This inward witness of the Spirit that helps us to see the sanctity of human life. The filling of the Holy Spirit uh, that empowers us and encourages us to to walk and obey how the Lord would have us to to walk and obey. And of course the fellowship of the Spirit uh, that unites our hearts together in faith and helps us build each other up and support one another in the Lord. We can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is impossible without Him. But praise God, you don't have to live life apart from Him. Amen? Amen. The praise team wants to come up and close us in that final song. If you can find your lyrics. I do not have two minutes of stuff to say. I think we're going to have to do bedroom songs. <laughs> Starting here.